Amen. You guys sound good today. I think it's the Latin. Do we sing better in Latin? Do we know what we're singing in Latin? Anybody? Glory to God in the highest. At least the choir knows what we're singing. All right. That was good. Um, Yeah, speaking of God who is glorious in the highest, and then we come back down to earth where oftentimes things are not quite so glorious. Uh, Please excuse our appearance while we're under construction. Don't you hate that sign? I hate that sign. Because when you see that sign and you're like, you're visiting a restaurant for one time out of state, and you think, the the construction is not going to serve me. I'm not going to enjoy the final product. When you're you're at a a one-time visit to an amusement park or an aquarium or a museum, please excuse our appearance while we're under construction. That sign is such a bummer. (laughs) It means nothing looks nice. Everything's a mess. Um, On the other hand, when you see that sign in a spot that you frequent often... Well, it's not so bad, right? Like, let's say you had a church, for instance, that was under construction for like 18 months. It's a bummer to see the sign, but you know I'm going to keep going to that church and I'm going to get to enjoy the finished product. Or, step outside of the church, how about we go to the street running past the church? Route 109. Anybody traveled Route 109 recently? Like a thousand feet now, they're getting closer, they're getting closer, a thousand feet down the street. The place is just a mess. It's a mess. All this year, um, let's see, the schedule is we're doing uh, utilities, clearing trees, installing drainage. Next year, 2017, is going to be really messy. We're widening the road, full depth excavation. They're adjusting like even the vertical contours on the road, Um, new street lights, new traffic lights. All that mess, honestly, by the way, that's going to impact some of the ministry that we're trying to do here. That's okay. Simper Gumby, always flexible. We're going to roll with it. (laughs) And then in 2018, we got new sidewalks, pavings, plantings, a lot of work, a lot of inconvenience for those of us who use Route 109, but in our heads, we all kind of know, especially if you travel 109, like on a weekly basis, it's worth it. Because it's really, really needed. And then I think stepping back into the church, probably every Christian in here ought to have that sign hanging around our own necks. Please excuse my appearance while I'm under construction. It's not that y'all look so bad on the outside. (laughs) Actually, you're a pretty good looking church. But every one of us is under construction. In process. The Bible calls it, what's the big theological word? Yeah, sanctification. It means daily, um, gradually, usually, painfully often, being conformed bit by bit into the image of Christ in our words, in our thought patterns, in our actions. And that's what this morning's text, as you might have guessed, is kind of keying in on. So if you have your Bibles, please open up. Book of Acts, chapter 18. While you're turning there, by the way, my name is Travis Bond. I serve as lead pastor here. We're working through a series in Acts. Many of you will know that. Um, Recently, we've been tracking with the Apostle Paul on his now second missionary journey. This morning, we're going to finish the second missionary journey right where it started at that home church in Antioch that we've gotten to know pretty well. And then from there, as we read through the text, the camera's going to pan 
out of Antioch. The camera's going to pan over to the city in Ephesus, and um, we're going to get to know three important folks there. It's a husband and wife team named Priscilla and Aquila, and then one young rock star preacher, and his name is Apollos. And he is a guy very much under construction. So, Acts 18, beginning at verse 18, brothers, sisters, guests, this now is the very word of our Lord. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Okay, quick pause button. Uh, That was the end of Paul's second missionary trip, verse 22. Verse to verse, you don't even notice it, but there's like a year break. Um, And then verse 23, third missionary trip launches, and now the scene changes, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Okay, quick review again. How many missionary trips did the Apostle Paul go on? Not three. Four, right? Three are covered in the book of Acts. The fourth one is not covered in the Bible at all, but it's strongly inferred from Paul's last letters. We call them the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, which he wrote at the end of his life. So there's a strong inference of a fourth missionary trip that probably got as far as Spain. But we're not there yet. Um, here is where we're at. While back, Acts 13, you can turn to it if you like. You need not to right now. The home church in Antioch. Remember, they commissioned Paul and his missionary team to go out, and spread the good news that Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, saves. Okay? Um, That trip lasted about a year and a half. Uh, It never really goes further than like 300, 350 miles or so uh, from the home church in Antioch, although 350 miles back then is a lot more than it is now. Um, So that lasts about 1.5 years. Then they return to the home church, And they're on home assignment, as it were, for two or three years. 
Next up, if you were to look in Acts 16, we go on now the second missionary trip. Um, They go further. This one lasts longer, two and a half years this time. The second trip uh, is where we're finishing up today. The team traveled all the way up into Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Um, They cross the Aegean, uh, Aegean, they go into Greece, and then they circle back down. They visit the the original mother church there in Jerusalem, and then they're back up to Antioch where the whole trip is done. For our purposes today, what matters is along the way, they visit this Turkish city called Ephesus where Paul leaves this husband and wife team named Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, If you guys were with us a few weeks back, we were first introduced to them way over in Corinth. They placed their faith in Christ. They welcomed Paul into their home. He lived with them for around 18 months. He spent quite a bit of time in Corinth. And then they all travel together to Ephesus, and that's where Paul leaves them. I suspect they were sad to see Paul go. Apparently, a lot of folks were sad to see Paul go because it says so in verse 20 that they're asking him to stay. He replies, no, I'm not going to stay, verse 21, but I will return to you if God wills. And I think maybe small piece of application here that that would be probably a very good phrase for some of us to build into our vocabulary right there, if God wills. You know, in days past, uh, did you know this? Christians long ago, they used to put the initials DV um, at the bottom of their letters, Deo Volente. Today's a day of Latin, everybody. (laughs) God willing, Deo Volente. Some of you will recognize James 4. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Lord willing. We don't want to like use that phrase to the point of pious cliche, but it is true, is it not? That every email you send, every Christmas party you plan, has as a postscript, DV, Deo Valente, Lord willing, this will come to pass. And Lord willing, it won't. If the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. And it's relevant, I think, not simply because it's a verse in the text, but because it informs so much about how Paul seems to do this work of missions. Um, the, the, The team, over and over, we've seen this, they sought the leading of the Holy Spirit on the missions trip. Um, In this case, that includes then leaving Priscilla and Aquila, a couple that Paul loved. He trusted. He had worked with them. He leaves them in Ephesus to continue this good work of building the kingdom. And of course, every new uh, convert that they met in Ephesus or every first time profession of faith that they saw as they themselves led people into a relationship with God. Every single person who moved into this now little baby but growing church in Ephesus, all those people 
were in process. They were all under construction. And that includes this picture of grace that we meet a guy named Apollos. Very much under construction, but blessed with this wonderful couple who were able to see this man's potential. Okay, so that's all kind of the context, which I thought it would be worth spending a little bit of time on. And then from there, I just have two things I want to say to you uh, for the balance of the sermon, uh, and then we're done. First thing, willing to teach. Willing to teach. So Priscilla and Aquila, they were originally from Rome. Um, they, uh, I'm not really sure how old they are. I kind of got a picture in my head. I don't know if it's accurate or not. We know they're old enough that they were driven, they were expelled from Rome uh, during a, kind of a small, low-level persecution of Jews. They were driven out of Rome, and they, they're old enough that they had settled and lived for some time in Corinth, but they're young enough that they're able still to get up and relocate their entire lives and now become church planters in Ephesus. Um, so here's how it might have gone down. Priscilla and Aquila, they hear about this a really well-known, really well-spoken Jew from North Africa who's coming to town and he's going to be speaking. His name is Apollos. He's, he's from a city in North Africa, Alexandria, which rivaled Athens as an intellectual powerhouse. They hear about him, they go to listen to him one morning, or they go to listen to him one evening, and then afterwards they go, as is their custom, and they have coffee at the local coffee shop, whatever the first century equivalent of muffin house is, and they have one of the cappuccino muffins, which is almost worth dying for if you have not had, and they didn't pay me to say this, but they're just incredible muffins, and so they're sitting there, and they're eating the cappuccino muffin, which has like a crunchy top, and is drizzled with chocolate, and it's, it's it's quite amazing, really. And they're talking about this, this speaker that they just heard. And, um, you know, Priscilla, she says to her husband, you know, he, he really, the way he spoke, I mean, it, it moved my soul. But do you think there was something off there? And, and Aquila, he pours a little bit of cream into his cup there. And then he looks up at his wife and he says, yeah, I... I can't put my finger on it. What do you think? And Priscilla says, I, I'll tell you what I, I think. I, I think we ought to have him home. I think we need to have him over for dinner. And we ought to see if he would be willing to hear from us the whole gospel as we were taught it directly from one of Jesus' apostles, Paul. I don't really know if that's how precisely the conversation went. Um, likewise, I'm not positive the issues at play here. You know, it's a funny thing. The Bible never gives us the answers we want. It gives us the answers we need. And sometimes we just have to kind of guess around the other stuff. But we're given enough here. Um, Luke, who wrote the, the book of Acts, he tells us Apollos knew the Hebrew scriptures. If your texts are still open there. He, Apollos even taught about Jesus accurately. It says in verse 25, but he only knew the baptism of John. And if you're brand new to the Bible, that's a reference to John the Baptist, who is a forerunner of Christ. And so you put that info together, and quite possibly, the point here is that whatever Apollos had, it was a very weak doctrine of the atonement, or the finished work of Christ. 
or at least he was ignorant about the indwelling Holy Spirit, okay, Pentecost and everything that had followed from that. I'm not entirely sure. What is obvious from the text is that there were some key pieces missing in Apollos' theology because Apollos was still under construction. So here's this godly couple who take an interest in a young man with great potential and they want to encourage him. They're not shooting arrows at him. They're not publicly playing the gotcha card when he says things that are a little bit off. They're willing to teach. And I think to myself, thank God, Priscilla and Aquila were not so concerned to make tents, which was their livelihood, that they forgot to make disciples, which was their purpose. And then I consider, you know, when I read this text, whenever I read this text, I always put the the pen and the paper down uh, that I'm taking notes on, and I just think for myself a little bit about my own experience as a young guy. Saved at 16, finally started walking with Christ, well, crawling, stumbling, around the age of 18 or 19. Um, And then in college and seminary, blessed with a few precious men and women who came alongside me and somehow... (laughs) were able to envision that this Travis Bond, who was so cocky and had so very little to be cocky about, might somehow, someday, actually be of use to the kingdom. And they poured time and effort and tears into discipling me. Please excuse my appearance while I'm under construction. And you know, as I look out at this congregation this morning, I see a number of established, mature Christians in the faith. Not that you have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but you're pressing on, I'm quoting Philippians 3 here, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Some of you are mature in the faith. And I wonder, are you willing, are you prepared to be a Priscilla or an Aquila to the one who needs it? You know, in 2009, this church averaged uh, less than 190 people on any given Sunday. Um, I'm told on the summer Sundays, we would um, regularly dip below 100 for average attendance. And then God made the church to grow. But with who? Well, some of you came into the church um, established in the faith, but you relocated to this area. And some of you were in other Bible-believing churches in this region, and for one reason or another, probably various reasons actually, God led you here. And then some of you, you had given up on the church entirely for a long time. Or you had never known God to begin with. Did you know that in the past six years, Uh, About 25% of our new members 
our very first time professions of faith. Saved, brought to Christ through the ministry of this particular church. And I point all that out because all the Priscilla's and the Aquila's in here, folks, we need you. We got men and women of all ages who want to know God, who want to follow God, and they would love it for a Priscilla or an Aquila to come alongside them and teach them, verse 26, the way of God more accurately. And I wonder if you, do you have it built into your, your, the, the, the warp and woof of your life that you pray for our baby Christians or our toddler Christians or our kindergarten Christians, wherever they are along you know, the, the, the walk there. What's more, have you ever taken the initiative and asked them for an hour to step into, into a coffee shop with you and, and say, you know, would you be interested in like getting together once a week for four months? You always put a time frame on it. Give, give both your, your an out. But would, would you be willing to get together weekly for four months and just talk about our faith? How does our relationship with God impact our marriage and our finances and our doctrine of vocation? Where, where we work 40 or 60 hours a week. I suspect some of you older Christians, and I mean not chronologically now, but spiritually, some of you long-term Christians, because you've been Christians for years or decades, and most of the people who are close to you in your life have as well, you might be shocked at how hungry some of the people in our church family are to just have that person reach out and extend the invitation. Thank God Priscilla and Aquila were willing to teach. And then the the other thing I wanted you to see, you kind of flip to the other side there and you look at Apollos who is willing to be teachable. You got willing to teach, willing to to be teachable. Because you put yourself in Apollos' sandals for a moment, right? You've, you've been trained in Alexandria. Um, if Athens is Harvard, Alexandria is Yale. You're learned, you're eloquent, far beyond the common man. People are always telling you how much they appreciate your, your preaching. You are such a good speaker. But now, along comes this blue-collar, tent-making husband and wife team, and they carefully explain to you, you do not know what you don't know. And I think, man, it would have been so easy for Apollos to reject their help to just hear the applause of the crowds because there were crowds and yet somehow thank goodness this man had the good sense to recognize whatever does not go to praise turns to pride it always does whatever's in your life that you think you do good whatever does not go to praise turns to pride The fact that Apollos received this couple's instruction, instruction which came in part from a woman. Oh my goodness. 
And, and especially, we're talking to first century here, folks. That alone says this man was teachable. <laughs> I know, I know, dude. I hear you. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure why he was sighing, but I haven't gone that long here, bro. (laughs) You know, it's no different today. I mean, the context is different, but it's no different, right? You go into Barnes and Noble, you're going to see a thousand books on leadership. You're going to see very few on followership. The Christian faith, though, Christ bought, it's spirit wrought, and it's word taught. Did you know that? Our faith, it's Christ bought, it's spirit wrought, and it's word taught. And Apollos was willing to be taught. Despite his amazing talent, despite his considerable gifting, the sign was around his neck too. Please excuse my appearance while I'm under construction. See, when we've accepted who we are in light of who he is, now we're in the position to grow. Now we're in the position to not be afraid. Not be afraid that I don't know enough. Not be afraid that my my faith isn't strong enough. Listen, some of you, and this is particularly among you men, I suppose it can be women too, you you are hesitant to even place yourself in an environment with other Christians because you might not be the smartest person in the room. And you're really smart. And you're used to being the smartest person in the room. And here we have Apollos. There's freedom in this to say, I don't know it all. I'm, I, my faith, I'm not sure it's strong enough. I'm not sure I know enough. But I'm resting in the confidence of Christ. Those of you who come here and maybe you've been here for a few weeks or a few months and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I don't understand all this stuff. I'm catching like maybe 15% of the Bible references you're just throwing out there in the sermon. Can I say to you folks, it's okay. It's all right. We're in process. You're under construction. Join the crowd. In the Lutheran church I attended as a kid long before it meant anything to me at all, we used to sing a hymn, When I Fear My Faith Will Fail. You guys know this one? Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. Christ will hold me fast. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Listen, when Jesus saves us, be our name Apollos, Paul, Kathy, Robin, Carl, or Trav, it's Christ who holds us fast. That's his promise, which then gives us the freedom to be under construction and not... Pretend otherwise. Take the mask down a little bit, folks. Jesus, the the Savior, he stepped into history and he became a friend to sinners. That's our starting point. That's our baseline. 
And when we've embraced that and we know that, then it gives us all kinds of freedom to mess up and repent and learn the way of God more accurately. And can I just add then, that also liberates us to be under construction and to now be patient with the bozo in the pew behind you or beside you. (laughs) Recognizing she's still under construction (laughs) and so is he. (laughs) Because you know it's true, right? Cleaned up as y'all might be on a Sunday morning. There's so much in us that's still in process. Listen, the, the reality is if you could look into my soul and see the depths of my heart, you wouldn't listen to me preach anymore. If I could look into your soul and see the depths of your heart, I wouldn't bother. (laughs) So, So let's not kid ourselves, friends. We're all under construction, just like Apollos. Absolutely dependent on grace to bring us home. We do not need, none of us in this room needs someone to shout down at us, learn the way of God more accurately. What we need is a Priscilla or an Aquila to come alongside us and say, hey, are you still under construction? Me too. Shall we walk a ways together? And then we come to this communion table, right? A table of common union. <laughs> And we think, well, that's exactly what we're declaring here. I need Christ. And we need each other. Carl? Depths of mercy fall and cover me Washing all my shame Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.